All right, so I have my microphones on a stack of Ashtadali yoga malas, and we. You read them all. I have them all. Oh, I think you can read them all. No. <laughs> even even though at this moment I am slowly moving back through it, uh, someone recently asked me to to mentor him, and so I was like, okay, you know, which books did I find useful when I was when I was being mentored, and I loved reading them uh, when I had just started uh, studying yeah. Iyengar Yoga. Trove of Guruji's work, and just. Um... Two days ago, I was looking through one of the Ashtadal Yoga Malas, and Guruji has a sequence for happiness. <laughs> I'll go find it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the Michael Bryan Podcast. I'm your host, Michael A. Bryan, and joining me today, all the way from Boston, is Ms. Patricia Walden. Patricia, thank you so much for being here. My great pleasure. Patricia, I'm so excited to dive into the conversation that we're going to be having today. But before we get there, for those of you who this is your first time joining us here on the Michael Bryan Podcast, this is a podcast where I bring you interviews from yoga teachers, spiritual-based healers, as well as mindfulness-based leaders from around the world, so that you can find out not only about their practices, but also about how their practices are impacting the lives of others. So if you want to continue to be a part of the magic and the momentum that we're building here on the Michael Bryan Podcast, please do, yes, go down below and subscribe to the Michael Bryan Podcast if you're watching this on YouTube or if you hear us anywhere, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, Spotify, you name it, please make sure that you subscribe to the show. And as always, share this podcast with your other yoga-based and mindfulness-loving friends because more and more people need to hear from these amazing teachers from around the world. Now, Patricia, once again, I'm really excited to be sitting here with you today. We met once in person, and that was at the 2016 Iyengar Yoga Convention in Boca Raton. Oh, okay. I, re I remember that. Yes. <laughs> so we met at the convention, and... At the convention, I was blown away because at the end, I think it was the last evening of the convention, you went on stage and you did this beautiful demonstration of Hanumanasana and backbends and all of the things and dropbacks. And it was so delightful to watch you at the convention. And what struck me the most was just not only how beautiful and how graceful your practice was, but how you looked so so settled in your practice. And I, I know I'm saying this because I know a lot of people struggle with backbends and it's something, you know, it's not necessarily people's first thing that they always go for, but I was just so impressed by that. And I'm so happy to be sitting here talking to you right now. Wonderful to be here. Well, I'm happy to have you. Now, Patricia, before we dive into your amazing and wonderfully illustrious journey with Iyengar Yoga, uh, tell us, Patricia, just who you are, as well as how you came to be practicing Iyengar Yoga today. So, um, 
want to go to the very beginning. So I started doing yoga at uh, around 23. I was living in San Francisco during that period and yoga was just kind of catching on. And I loved the, um, the focus of focusing on the self by doing something physical. So I had, you know, some wonderful experiences doing yoga and taking classes at a young age. And after my first yoga class, I thought, this is what I'm going to, going to be doing. So it was like that. It was not like, oh, I'll see. No, it hit me, it hit me immediately. And then, um, of course, probably it was four years, five years later when I met Guruji for the first time. And that was an incredible life-changing meeting. It was, um, I'll just go on and say he was, he was on a tour and he was teaching here in Boston where I live. I, another yoga group brought him. And um, it, at this time yoga was in it, you know, and it's just stand, it's starting to stand up on its legs. And I was doing a, what we call then a flow and glow kind of yoga where we, we turn the lights down and we're in a dark room and we're making a circle and the teachers never told the students what to do. <laughs> the lights were off. <laughs> so when I met Guruji, the light went on, you know, I just like because he got off the platform, he walked down to the place we were all practicing. I think they're about maybe 70, 80. Boston had a lot of, uh, was uh, very interested in yoga. And I thought, he's walking around, the lights are off. And then he started smacking people, lift your chest, <laughs> move your knee back. And I thought, this is wonderful, he cares. He cares about what we're doing, but some of the, uh, I would say 50-50, so the, the, the folks that didn't feel what I did said, oh, this is a violent person because he's hitting and slapping. And then that, that uh, what came out of that, uh, the um, initials, bang, king, and slap. <laughs> but I, um, I thought that f that first meeting when he walked off the platform and, you know, went around and looking at um, all of us, I really feel felt once again, this is what I am meant to do. And after the um, end of his uh, six-day um, retreat, if, if you will, I asked him, you know, where can I study with you? And I thought he was, I thought he was teaching in Switzerland. I don't know if you even know the name Vonda Scaravelli. But he was work, yes. So he was giving private lessons to Avanda's son. And I thought, oh, we can go to Switzerland and study with Guruji. And he said, no, no, you have to come to Pune. So that, fo that following January, I went to Pune. And I thought, this is, this is my life now. I mean, he ignored me for a long time, which was hard. Um, but I was, just, I had never been happier and more excited. And I thought, this is my Dharma. So um, th these were wonderful, wonderful years of my life. Um, my life is still wonderful, but he ignored me. And that was, you know, that was really hard. And um, one day after a pranayama class, so he would teach asana in the morning. And then in the afternoon was pranayama and we had never done it. 
And um, I built up my courage to talk to him after one of the classes because the pranayama was really hard for me. And I said, Mr. Iyengar, I have a hard time exhaling. And he slapped me on the back and he says, that's because you're too sensitive. When someone says something bad about you, you take it in. And then he slapped me again and walked away. And I thought, he's right. That's true. <laughs> that, that sort of began a different a chapter of my relationship with him. And, you know, very, very fortunate that my a relationship with him um, it deepened tremendously over the years. I had a very special relationship with him. And I went to India, um, see, I think it was 1976, and I only missed three years. I've gone every year since, he, since then, and I still do, and I would be there now if we weren't in COVID. So um, that workshop was uh, in Boston, and then meeting him for the first time in India, was a light, you know, there were life-changing events, life, you know, and it is, Guruji's work is my life, my practice, my students' practice, that's my life, and I love my life, and I feel very fortunate, especially when I think of my father, so my father had a job that he didn't like, at the dinner table, he would never talk about what he did. He had to drive an hour and a half to work and then an hour and a half back. And he worked to support his family. And I thought, I am, so, you know, once again, I am so fortunate. I'm, I'm doing what's in my heart. Yeah. Wow. That's a beautiful story, Patricia. And I had never heard before exactly where the beat, kick, and slap came from. Yeah, Boston. Now you know. <laughs> well, well, Boston. Boston seems as if it's 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 definitely a wonderful place. And and you're there, and he passed through. And I know some people in Boston. It it it, it has quite the quite the history. At the end, I want to tell you one thing you'll find amusing. At the end of the whole um, six days, he stood on the platform and said, you Bostonians, tough coconuts to crack. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, it, it sounds as if the, the two of you, the Bostonians and BKS Angar, had a had a, 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 a mutual relationship and a mutual experience of each other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So, Patricia, what I want to know from you is when you got up and decided to go to Pune, what was that experience like? Because like you said, you were coming from a very specific type of yoga that you had practiced yeah. before. So... I mean, what was that experience like making that shift from what you were doing beforehand to even wanting to embrace this Iyengar yoga that you were being introduced to? Well, so, you know, going to India in those days was like exotic, you know, and I, um, when, I was at, when I was at the airport and getting ready to go, my mother, my aunt and my cousins all came to see me off. <laughs> it, it was uh, it was that it was that big. So um, 
probably there were 30 um, people for the intensive. There was, you know, small in those days. Yoga, his method hadn't spread. And, um, you know, my uh, biggest desire and wish was that he would talk to me or tell me what to do. And he didn't. He ignored me. He just said, tall people go to the back of the room. Otherwise, I can't see the, sh the short people at the front. And he yelled at us, go to the back of the room. <laughs> you know, and he didn't, he didn't pay attention to me except for telling me that I was too sensitive after pranayama. But every year, I went there. And every year, he ignored me. And then um, after maybe six or seven, my practice was really taking off. Maybe the sixth or seventh year, um, he was teaching... Shirshasana 2 and it's a tripod headstand and I had been practicing so much because I wanted his attention so he came up behind me and he started pushing his foot into my back and I thought who's going to win so <laughs> I'm down and he was really people said did that hurt weren't you afraid no I was so happy uh, so he said after after kicking me a few times um, and, it, and it didn't hurt. He said, now it's come. So after seven years of going, going there, um, he, we, he paid attention to me every year. And I, I you know, that will jump ahead probably five, six, seven, eight years. My, um, I mean, my life was to deepen my practice and to do whatever Guruji taught me. And he was like the, the big son in my life. And as my practice deepened, he gave me more. And I was really fortunate in that in the practice hall um, before classes, there um, is open practice time. So I um, would set up, he would be over in kind of a corner with all the props. Um, and the platform was right beside him. And I built up the courage um, to start practicing near him and watching everything he did. And um, so I, and I would try my best to do what he did. And he saw that I was strong, that I was, um, you know, that this was really important to me, that it was really my life. And he would give me instructions every day. And he would adjust me. And um, I could take his adjustments physically and emotionally. They were strong, but they were like, um, oh, how can I explain it? Except to say it lit my fire. I, I was burning brightly from his light shining on me. He gave me so much, Michael. I'm very, very fortunate. I don't think there's a week that goes by that I don't go back into all those years with him and recall a particular experience that I've had. One of my favorite ones um, was when he turned 80. He's still, you probably know this, but he was still doing all the poses, 80 years old. So the day before his 80th birthday, he um, we, there was a big celebration to um, honor him on his 80th birthday. We rented a big hall in a beautiful place outside of Pune. So he came into the practice hall um, the morning before his um, intensive began. And he stood, stood up and he started to drop back. So I stood next to him. I didn't know what was gonna happen. 
um, if I connect him, but I did. And I was able to um, follow his rhythm. And we did 108 backbends from Tadasana to Urbhadhanarasana and then back again. And our feet, I mean, I, it was the most, I, one of the most wonderful experiences of my life. So our feet didn't turn out. My feet stayed planted on the earth and I was able to, I think it was God's grace because it, it was so extraordinary. And then after um, we finished, he didn't say anything. He just went over and started doing a different kind of practice. And I just went back to my hotel and thanked God <laughs> for, for that experience. So as I said, that's one of the highlights of my um, life, not just in my yoga life, but in life. Now, Patricia, Regarding these backbends, I remember looking at a video from, I think it must have been Guruji's 2005 teaching in Essex Park in California. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there was a moment when he had you going into a backbend underneath the trestle. And before, yes. and, and before you went up, he said, she is the greatest backbender in America. <laughs> I don't know whether that's true or not, but it went right to my heart. I was just, you know, even now, you just saying that, I got a chill. I got, I got a chill. Yeah, so that was, that was wonderful. That was, yeah, that was wonderful, really, as you can imagine, right? Because he... Guruji wasn't one for compliments. He really wasn't. And to get a compliment from him was really something. It, the bar was so high. And he's the first to tell you, oh, you have no talent, go home. <laughs> so I guess what the question is, is where did that component of emphasis within your practice come from? Or was it just that within the larger sphere of you having a strong practice in general, backbending was just another strong piece of an otherwise strong practice. No. So um, in my 20s and, and off and on after that, I was suffering from depression. This is one of the reasons I started doing yoga. And um, Guruji saw that. And, it, and one day... Um, early on and you know in my time with him he um came up put and he put his hand on my thoracic spine and he said your thoracic spine he didn't say thoracic spine your back is like that because you're depressed and i'm going to help you and i never told him that i was depressed and he never um brought that up except for maybe um 20, 20 years ago, and I was having difficulty in my upper back. And I said, that's because I'm depressed. And he said, no, that was then. Now it's because you're not working correctly. <laughs> and so within that, was his remedy for you to develop a really powerful backbend practice yeah yeah um i he didn't have to talk me into them i had a natural i was drawn 
to them. I was drawn to them. They, um, and still am, I'm still doing um, a lot. It, he, um, oh, it's, it's hard to say. So one of the reasons that I loved back then so much was the way I felt afterwards. I felt like I can do anything in life. I had glimpses of, of my deepest self. My heart opened. You know, and I had, you know, I had a depression for a long time and his, the way he taught me and my commitment to practice really helped me to pierce through that Thomas, to pierce through that dark darkness in me. And because of what I went through, I, I can work, I do depre depression workshops. So I feel like I am able to help and it's mainly women that, that I work this way with, um, but I know how to work with them so they can, they have a remedy and they see that backbending and inversions are like medicine for depression. And uh, it was interesting what happened in our yoga community, I would say in the late seventies and early eighties, you know, some people um, were taking um, what we call them mood elevators. They were, you know, pharmaceutical drugs. And there was a big conflict in our community. Some people would say, oh, you're just taking the easy way out and you're taking drugs and you're addicted to drugs. And, and I looked at it very differently. I thought we are so fortunate that we are living in a day and age where someone who is very depressed, who um, they're doing yoga, but yoga has given them something, but they needed medication. And they were afraid they wouldn't feel the um, results of the yoga practice if they took these drugs and it wasn't true. It, in fact, it helped them to pierce through um, Thomas or Rogers, depending on the kind of um, you know, um, depression that they had. And most people got off, it, off those drugs eventually. So um, that, that was an interesting chapter in our com community of Iyengar uh, teachers and students. I find it interesting that you bring up this point, Patricia, and thank you so much for sharing that. A lot of people don't feel as if Iyengar yoga has the ability to deal with someone who has emotional issues or mental issues. So I think one of the things has, has been that, yeah, go to the Iyengars to fix your knee pain or go to the Iyengars to fix your back pain. But if you yeah. have depression or anxiety or something else, then Iyengar yoga isn't good for that. That's absolutely not true. That's absolutely not true. I'm a living example. And I happened to, just last weekend, I was doing an online workshop in Poland and they wanted me to uh, do a class on yoga and anxiety, yoga for depression. And I, I did a class and I thought they said, no, we need more than that. So I'm going in another few weeks or so and do another online workshop, Yoga for Depression. I did one um, uh, last uh, August and a hundred something people showed up for this workshop. And that says something, doesn't it? I mean, people are looking to yoga for all kinds of things. But I, I won't say that you know, that, it can, that um, the anger method can cure depression, but it gives you a way as a teacher 
to help your students and as a student to find that their depression is a little bit less because what happens, so de a depression has one look and, and a generalization and anxiety has another look. So one of the things that you probably see and have experienced and I have and many people have that what's going on in your mental and emotional body affect your physical body, right? Um, yeah, so these workshops that I do, we focus, we, I use asana and a series of different poses that focus on lifting the chest, expanding the consciousness in the chest, maintaining the lift in the armpits, and looking from the outer corners of your eyes and not from the center. And it's really been a gift to so many people that have depression and that have anxiety. And I, um, I love doing these workshops because I see that Guruji's method really works, that Gita's teaching really works for those who are suffering from anxiety and depression. So, you know, we're using our vehicle, our outer vehicle to penetrate into those inner, the inner mind, our, our deep emotions, um, negative thinking. So I can't say enough, and as you can probably tell, I'm excited because <laughs> I've had depression, I've had anxiety, and now I can share with students and teachers how they can work with it, how they can work with their students. So, And then just to say that the, um, so I look at depression, anxiety through the gunas. So the Raja guna is like, people who are really held like this, you know, their chest is caving in, the thoracic spine moves out. And then the, um, uh, the uh, so that's the rajasic depression. And then for someone who has the other kind of depression, tamasic, there's a sinking. It's like, you can't even see the person's breath there. You know, the, the lungs are pressing down on the organs. The abdomen has constriction. You know, and the eyes have no life at all. And one, one of the things that um, awakened me early on, Guruji said, and it might have been that intensive that I talked about in Boston. He said, if you keep your armpits open, you'll never get depressed. <laughs> and I just thought... It was another moment where I thought I have to go and study with this man because when you're when you're if you just open your armpits, you feel energy percolating throughout your chest and then throughout your embodiment. You feel life force percolating, right? So but I don't people shouldn't think that the anger method is just for physical and physio physiological. Um, issues, you know, it's for lovers of of yoga, and you know, between Guruji and, and Gita Ji, you know, there is a path. There are books right, written, you know, light on life, right? Uh, the, the philosophy, psychology of yoga, and all the things 
that Gita has written, a preliminary course. I'm sure you know that one, an intermediate course. So Gita, um, and sort of going off on a tangent, has written so many books and booklets to help Westerners understand Guruji. So um, as you know, Gita died um, four years ago now. Mm -hmm. um, so I was there um, when she died. I was there when she died and um, her body was, um, I don't like to say on display, but after she went to the hospital and she died before she got there and then they brought her back to her home and I got a knock on the door um, at, at 5.30 or 6.30 in the morning, banging, banging, banging. And I thought, oh my God, what's going on? So I opened the door because I could tell something was happening. And my friend Joan said, Gita died. And we just ran over to the Institute and sat with Guruji and the um, family let us come in and then other students, Lois was there and Lois and I were hugging each other and crying. And we just, we just, um, we just couldn't believe it. But anyway, um, after that, there's a certain number of days where the family stays quiet. And then the last day there is an event. So um, Prashant gave a talk about Gitaji and he said, Gitaji's life was a sacrifice to Guruji. Everything she did in her life was for Guruji. And that is true. I've watched her life. You know, she was in, have you seen photographs of Gitaji's practice the, in the red leotard and doing all the poses? Oh, I remember she, she was an assistant in the early intensives and she didn't like me that much, but eventually it changed. But so I was, I always had to be in the back of the room because I was tall and short people at the front. So I turned and looked and Gita was behind me and she was doing Adho Mukha Vrikshasana with Padna, Padmasana, balancing away from the wall. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> I'd never seen anything like that. And that was, you know, such a source of inspiration for me. And, you know, so anyway, that's another golden, golden memory. Now, Patricia, you've shared so much. And I definitely want to acknowledge this, this piece of Gitaji and how, how she lived her life was this testament to Iyengar yoga. Even in reading the book, Yoga Jam for Women, she talks about how she saw all of these Westerners coming to study with her father. And it occurred to her, well, hey, if all of these people are coming to study with him, why am I here in India, in his household, not studying? So I find it very endearing that that's the commentary that Prashanchi had to say about Gita at the end of her life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she um, was a very devotional practitioner. So she, there was a woman's intensive that actually Lois um, made happen in 1996. And um, Gita stood up um, when the first day we were there 
and she gave a talk and she began the talk by saying, I love God. And you know, somebody else might say that and they think, what? But the, it was so pure. Her heart was so pure and the words were so pure. And here is another opportunity or I'm getting chills again. Uh, that, that just went right to my heart and I started to cry and I just felt her purity as a, as a human. It was, it was just um, a very touching, touching moment. But then when she started teaching the intensive, Guruji showed up. He was at the back of the room. And every, every five sentences, he tried to get his, get, get his two cents in. And she started getting really frustrated with him. And then he <laughs> at the back of the room because I was tall. And he practiced right behind me. And while Gita was teaching, he was teaching me. And I'm trying to listen to Gita and follow him. What do I do? <laughs> He's teaching me a different, a whole different pose. And so it was really stressful for me. Patricia, <laughs> uh, you've had such a wonderful point of contact with the Iyengar yoga family. And also in the West, you've stood out as a luminary within our field of yoga in general, because you have built bridges across the yogic divide that a lot of other Iyengar yoga teachers have not been able to do. And one of those bridges I'm referring to is some of the work that you've done in relation to yoga journal, either through the journal itself or through the conferences. What I want to know from you is what was that experience like being an Iyengar yoga teacher, but also existing in very non-Iyengar spaces in a very, very public way. What was that like? Um, it was good and bad. I mean, uh, so at the Yoga Journal conferences, Iyengar yoga was not the popular kid on the block. You know, it, it really wasn't. But I saw when I um, went there, I wanted to represent Guruji. I didn't want there to be yoga conference and not have him um, his voice there and they invited me and I was going to say no. And I said, no, I'm going to, and I'm going to show them the best of Guruji. And a lot of people came to my class. I thought I'd have a class of six people, but after my first class from the, re the rest of the time I was there, more and more people came and I thought I can, now I see, I can bring, um, you know, students of yoga that aren't doing the anger method to the anger method. So it felt very superficial, but um, but it was very, very meaningful. And um, you know, I was on the I was on the cover of Yoga Journal for um, many covers. And after one of them, it might have been the last one that I was on where I was doing um, Rajakapatasan where um, you lie in your abdomen and then hold your knees and bring your feet to your head, something like that. And a month later, I got a, a letter from Guruji and he said, beautiful Rajakapatasana on Yoga Journal. <laughs> I was afraid he would see that photo and say, what is she doing? She's a traitor. And... <laughs> So that that was um, that that was a, a very interesting 
moment. And then I had another similar moment where um, this is when uh, Iyengar Yoga and yoga in general was thriving. I don't know what years they were, um, but so Time Magazine did a whole spread on yoga. And um, so they came to, I, I didn't have a studio then, I was teaching in a church. So someone from, um, from um, what was it, Newsweek, I don't remember, Newsweek or Time Magazine, I don't remember what it was. But so they sent a photographer to my, um, to the place I was teaching and I did Parangusta Donrasan, although they, they didn't choose the right one to put on the cover. And then the, um, the owner of Yoga Journal, John Abbott, he was my student and he loved Guruji and he loved the Angar Method. So, and someone sent Guruji this magazine and I thought, oh no, <laughs> God, because John Abbott said, and this is right next to my post, the best yoga teacher in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. It was really interesting. Gita was in my home um, for a convention when the magazine came. And um, I, there were some of my colleagues who I won't name all of them were in my home. We all stayed there. And one of them said, I'm going to show Gita this. And I said, please don't. <laughs> he did anyway. And um, she said, good, good. So Gita and Guruji were both, I thought they were going to be angry at me, you know. <laughs> so th those, those are some more golden moments. <laughs> well, I'm very happy that you got their thumbs up on both those occasions. <laughs> Thank you. Now, Patricia, this piece of being a bridge in the non-Iyengar world, I think it's a really important one. Because something that we've seen more and more recently is that there are a lot of people who are deeply in love with the content of Iyengar Yoga and who are teaching around the content of Iyengar Yoga, but not actually teaching Iyengar Yoga or not actually getting certified. So they go off and they do the rope wall certification or they do the chair certification or they do the restorative yoga certification or all of these tiny components that they think is Iyengar yoga without actually practicing Iyengar yoga. What impacts do you think that's had both on our Iyengar yoga community, but also on the larger yoga community? Um, that's, that's interesting. Um, um, so part of me feels uh, protective of the Iyengar method. And if, if someone is going to use Iyengar um, as a way of, or Iyengar, so certified, not certified um, in the Iyengar method, but so they do Iyengar yoga, they do alignment. They th that's right. They think the Iyengar method is just alignment. So, you know, I used to get really upset about that. Um, and, you know, complain to my colleagues and feel like I felt like Guruji's name was not being represented um, correctly. Um, 
so I had some years, but that really bothered me. And as a, an association and being on the certification committee, you know, that, that was an issue for us for many years, but it doesn't seem to be an issue anymore. At least um, I don't know that it is an issue. The, the place where I would um, not be okay with is if you are going to call yourself an Iyengar teacher and you're not certified. That bothers me. That's not right. So that's really not right. And I would, if, I, if someone um, in this area was doing that, then I would make a friendly phone call or even say, could we have tea? I want to talk about um, what you're doing. So that's what I would do. And I wouldn't um, put myself in an adversarial position. I would um, be very positive with that person. So it's a hard one though. It is. It most definitely is a hard one. And I think one of the things that has come up uh, for me and among speaking with my colleagues is this thing that there is something so magical about the Iyengar yoga method and about the Iyengar yoga language and about the Iyengar yoga eye, because a lot of it is how do we see, how do we see our students? What do we see them doing? So as I look at the magic of Iyengar yoga and all the things that we have within our system that are beautiful and that are so amazing, I can understand why someone who isn't an Iyengar yoga teacher would want to have that. But I, I do agree with you that I do feel very protective when I see people and I know that it's Iyengar yoga that they're wanting to teach, or I know that it's Iyengar language that they're wanting to speak. And when they don't really have the container within their bodies to hold that information because they haven't gone through the sorts of training that we've gone through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting. Let, let's just say that the Angar teacher training programs are long. And Gita wanted, this is what she wanted. She wanted the person who is going up for assessment or doing teacher training, they had to have three years of experience of the Iyengar method, you know, classes every week before they could go up with intro one. So what we have is a certification system. More is asked of um, students who want to become Iyengar teachers. There's more time required. It's a three, they have to be practicing for three years and then they have this three-year teacher training program and then they can go up for ass assessment if they want to go in that direction. So, and you probably know that we're in a change now as Abhijata is at the forefront of um, the Angar community being, um, you know, Guruji's granddaughter. And it's really wonderful because if it weren't for Abhijata, I'm not sure that um, the Iyengar method would flourish. Granted, she's speaking to, I don't know if you did her five-day intensive, but she's speaking to the young teachers, the young students. And that's really important because we don't want it to die off. And I don't know if Lois ever shared the um, story with you about uh, she and I decided Griji wasn't doing well. And she and I decided we were going to go to Pune and ask him, what would you like to see from us as 
when you are here no more. And so he did, he didn't really say he talked for an hour and our plane was, you know, it's getting later and later in the meeting. And we said, but Guruji, um, please. And he said something and Lois has it all written down. You've probably read it, but he said something like pretty soon when I, when I am here no more, no one will remember the Angar name. The, uh, the name Iyengar won't be uh, remembered. And then just to elaborate on this, so um, in order for me to stay teaching at the studio, I said, if you want me to teach there, there has to be a big picture of Guruji because a lot of Iyengar teachers are teaching here and we have to honor our guru. So one day I arrived at the center and there was this young woman there and she said, who's that guy hanging on the wall? And my heart just, and then I remembered the conversation that Rolois and I had with Guruji. And so here's a young person loving yoga, but who's the guy on the wall? And I wanted to go up to her and say, you know, no matter what yoga you're doing right now, it has some roots in the Angar method. But I, I decided, no, I'm, you know, I'm just going to do what I do best. So, but there, I think that's happening. But maybe Abhijata, because she has charisma and knowledge, you know, she studied with Gita Prashant and Guruji, um, you know, maybe she's um, one of the ones that will keep the method going. Plus, you know, we have new, younger Iyengar teachers all over the world, and it's popular. You know, when I taught in Poland, I think I had about 150 people, and I thought, this is great. You know, this is great. They're interested. So the flame is burning. The flame is burning brightly in many places and, you know, in many, many hearts. You know, when I um, am having difficulty with yoga out there, I remember um, one of Guruji's definitions of yoga is when the intellect of the brain, these are his words, merges with the intelligence of the heart. That is yoga. And he talked about the heart a lot. And my inner mantra for myself in life is no matter what's happening, like we just went through a very hard time, right? No matter what's happening, I'm staying seated in my spiritual heart. As Guruji aged, that was more important to him, being staying seated in the heart. He would say the spiritual heart. So... He was, he said once to me, he said, talking about himself, I am hearty, meaning hearty and hearty. <laughs> and, you know, when he, when he was practicing and we were watching him, he didn't say anything, but Lois and I would practice next, next to him. And sometimes, you know, he would work with us and other times he'd be watching him and we could feel an energy emanating from him as he practiced. It was transcendent. It was amazing. And we could feel it together and we'd just look at each other <laughs> because we, we knew what each other was feeling. For sure, sure. For this newer generation of teachers coming into Iyengar yoga, are there any things that you would want for them, and I dare say us, to hold on to 
as we move forward towards the future with this practice? Well, so I think one of, so Guruji has these series of books, the Ashtadala Yoga Mala, and he took tremendous time um, with, with these books. And, you know, so it's, I think from one to eight, and I've, you know, read almost all of them and I continue to study them because his teaching is presented in so many different ways in that book. Um, I mean, you can just open the book and (laughs) (laughs) this is is volume one. Okay. Okay. But I, I have all of them on the shelf. Yeah, so my, my favorites are two, seven, and eight. Two, no, no, two, three, seven. Those are the, the wonderful, wonderful ones. And, you know, it, it, this is where all his work is. I mean, we can read Light on Life, absolutely. We have the uh, core of Yoga Sutras. That's a little harder for beginning students. And light on the Yoga Sutras. So my wish for younger teachers is that they don't just focus on asana and pranayama, but they immerse themselves in Guruji's philosophy of yoga and different commentaries of the yoga sutras, because that's how we cultivate the yogic mind. It's not just asana. It's not just pranayama. It's the study of philosophy and and studying philosophy. It's a Swadhyaya, right? You're studying yourself through these texts. You learn how or what is possible for you through these Ashtadali Yoga Malas. They're just a treasure trove of um, wisdom. And he covers so many, so many topics. And I have, I have places where I read in my home and there's always one or two Ashtadala yoga malas, right? That would happens to be three in a pile beside my, <laughs> my I call it my reading chair. And I, <laughs> um, one of my practices is the um, chanting of the yoga sutra. So I learned, uh, I memorized those fortunately, um, when I was younger. So now I'm not so good at the fourth pata, but now when I'm on a plane, which hasn't been for a long time or someplace waiting, I can just call to mind the yoga sutras and Atta Yoga Anushasanam Yoga Sutra Vritti Narutaha. I can go through a whole sutra while I'm waiting. So I'm using my time well. That's, that's a reason to memorize. I want you to memorize the yoga sutras. You can start with the second pada. That's easier, right? <laughs> definitely, definitely. So I am going to write that down on my list of things to do in this lifetime. Yeah. And look through the Ashtadala Yoga Malas, the one that has the um, yogas for happiness. I think it might be two, three, or seven. He has a whole sequence, yoga for happiness. Okay, I know that I know that in this one there's a chapter about happiness, but I'm I'm going to go check the rest and see uh, just yeah. exactly where that sequence is. Yeah. Yeah. So um, during you know during um, the the COVID, I I really because I have more time on my hands, um, I'm really going deeper now into those volumes. I have more time to read and study, and 
Um, so I'm with those uh, with those now. You know, it's, it's um, sometimes, and probably the other people that you've um, talked about feel the same thing. In some ways, I feel that I have never recovered from from Guruji's death. You know, I um, I just miss him so much. You know, I met him in my early mid twenties, and now I'm, you know, I am. Uh, how old am I? Seventy four, uh, and I just miss him so much. And I, when I'm in those states, either go and practice or pick up a copy of his light on yoga sutras and read um, from it. And he was, you know, he was had so many different sides. I mean, he was a genius, but he could also be like just a regular guy. I remember um, being in Pune when I was younger, he would teach in Mumbai every Saturday and he would take the train. So my friend and I decided that we were going to go to uh, Mumbai and go sightseeing. And he happened to be on this in the same car, and the, um, the, the car that we were in. And he was, he was going through a phase where when he would go out, he'd wear a suit that he had made in London. So he was in this the same car as we were, and he was in this fabulous three-piece suit that he had made in London. And then he had a tie on, and his hair was short then, and he was reading the newspaper. And if you didn't know who he was, you would think, this is just a businessman going, <laughs> going to Pune. So he, you know, he went through many different transitions in his sadhana. He really did. And you know, the, as we all say, we can feel Guruji's light before we see him in the room. We can feel the light come. So um, I just feel, you know, that I've been so blessed in this lifetime having met Guruji when I was young. I have no idea what my, my life would have turned out had I not met this extraordinary, extraordinary human who had, really did have light. To the end of his light, life, I would feel that light in his presence. So. Patricia, that is absolutely beautiful. And I can feel that light coming through you right now. And a final question that I have for you just before we leave, Patricia, is what is it you, at this stage within your life, at this stage within your practice, after having done so much and having had such a strong practice for so many years, what do you find yourself focusing on the most in terms of your teachings and what you teach your students, but also in terms of your own personal asana practice? So my uh, classes are um, Guruji's philosophy and, and quotes, I have quotes from Guruji, are woven throughout my teaching because I want the students that have come to me, I want them to understand Guruji's teaching and the things that he did to inspire me. And I try to inspire my students in the same way. So I'm keeping the thread. I'm keeping the fire burning within each and every class. And sometimes they, I think, I wonder if they're bored, especially the lower levels. But they don't seem to be. And I'm always trying to find ways of um, talking, 
talking about his teaching to them in a way that they can relate to it. And, you know, when, when you read his commentary in the Yoga Sutras, there are so many, um, I mean, they're, they're the more complicated sutras in three and four, but um, the first pada and especially the second pada, there's so many things that beginning students can relate to. For example, in the section on asana, um, two thirty six seven. Let me see if I can remember. Oh, he says that each asana should be nourishing and illuminating. And I found myself, um, Friday, I teach on uh, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Tuesdays. Those words just came out of me. You know, we were going through a difficult time here. And I wanted to um, bring some of Guruji's philosophy into the class. And that was, that what. That is what came to me. Your asana should nourish you. Every la layer of your embodiment should be nourished, each kosha. And then, um, oh, I, I mean, th there's so much. Um, but keeping this teaching alive for me is teaching some of the things that he taught me with his body, but also recommending different uh, sutras to read and sutra study is part of every class for me, even the um, beginning, beginning classes, because the way he writes in Ladan um, Yoga Sutras and a lot of the sutras, um, you don't have to be, have a profound intellect to understand what he's saying. His language often is very simple and very inspiring, very inspiring. And I see more students, I don't know what it's like for you, but I see more and more students are interested in the yoga philosophy. And so what I experience and what I see my students experiencing, when they start studying the philosophy, they are cultivating a yogic mind. So in the three things together, you know, the philosophy, the pranayama and asana, we're cultivating the yogic mind. It fills ourselves, right? It these things fill ourselves with yoga. And one of I think one of the reasons that Guruji emanated this light, light was the depth of his practice, of course, asana pranayama and his study. You know, he's able to ignite us because he was ignited, right? So to have a a teacher like this, like that, in this lifetime is such um, an incredible blessing and good fortune. Patricia, what do you have to say to students who find themselves during this period of our human history where we have classes online and all of this stuff and they're not necessarily feeling inspired about their sadhana? What final words would you have to give those students in terms of them just staying inspired within their practice of Iyengar yoga? So different for um, different levels. So during the COVID, we, we've been having talks before each class, even if it's just 10 minutes on yoga philosophy. So, um, I've, I've given them assignments. So for um, one of my lower level classes, 
study and memorize the yamas and the niyamas. And then every day begin with one yama. Choose it and keep referring to it throughout your day. Or maybe you do it for a whole week. And then the next day, choose another yama, one that speaks to you. And then go to the niyamas. So the niyamas are wonderful. Learn to study yourself in a pose. The first, right? Shaucha, santosha, tapaswadhyaya. So um, self-study has been important. And we've been having conversations about self-study. What are you learning in Virabhadrasana 2 during this period when you are in a pose where you're straightening the arms, lifting the arms up and lifting that spiritual heart and bringing the energy um, to the surface. So simple, um, simple philosophy assignments. I, I give asana assignments too. In um, my teacher's class, we have now, um, because we have more time, we are now studying the fourth pada. And each week, someone will do a presentation in our group on something that inspired them. So I think if, if a student could do some, just a little bit of each um, limb, the asana, study, pranayama, self-study, asana, pranayama. And, and I think sometimes younger students, not in terms of age, but um, experience, it can be a, just a small thing that you ask them to do. And, even, and sometimes I've said, okay, choose a pose that you love to do and then go to your mat and do the pose. And nine times out of 10, if you do one, you'll want to do another, right? <laughs> <laughs> you have to break the ice though. You have to kind of <laughs> one to the mat you know, the, the, the students with less experience. So simple, simple things, simple things. But I, um, this is, in, you know, the COVID has been really difficult for all of us. But one of the things is we have more time. So I've been able to spend like four hours a day on my practices. I, you know, it's been wonderful. It's been, that's you know, one of the only um, things <laughs> I think <laughs> that we could agree on, you have more time for, for sadhana. And aren't we fortunate that we have a place to go to as a refuge you know, dur during these times? Definitely, definitely. Patricia, this has been the most wonderful opportunity for me to be able to sit here and speak with you, someone who has blazed so many trails within our entire field of yoga and specifically within our Iyengar yoga. And I just want to say thank you so much for being willing to be here with me today. And I loved your questions. I love your presence. I love your smile. <laughs> and I bet you're a popular teacher because you have, I can see you have a lot of wonderful qualities and a lot of different qualities. <laughs> Well, well, I'm, I'm, I'm moving, I'm moving in a direction. Yeah. <laughs> we, we'll see where I end up in five years time. Well, I wish you tremendous continued inspiration on the path of yoga. Namaste.
Peace and blessings to you. Namaste, Patricia. And to those of our viewers and listeners out there, if this is your hundredth time joining us here on the Michael Bryan podcast, or if this is time number one, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for continuing to come and share in this virtual mindfulness space space with us. I receive your comments, your feedback, your support, but most of all, I receive your love. So if you want to continue to be a part of the magic and the momentum that we're building here on the Michael Bryan podcast, please do yes. Go below and subscribe to the Michael Bryan podcast wherever you find us online like the podcast, and also share this wonderful interview with your other yoga and mindfulness-loving friends because more and more people need to hear about the amazing work of teachers like Patricia and other teachers from around the world. So until next time, I'm your host, Michael A. Bryan, leaving you in peace and love and hope. Until we meet again, have a good one. Bye-bye.